He who saves one life saves the world entire. And the most important life to save is your own. After all, it's the place where you have the most power. So join shadow worker and trauma therapist Laura Giles each week on It's Not You, It's Me. We'll uncover what's in shadow and learn the things you need so you can heal yourself, grow yourself, know yourself, love yourself, be yourself, and share yourself. If you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, it's time to drop the self-sabotage and limiting beliefs. A healthy, abundant, connected life is an option. Choose it. Subscribe. And let's start manifesting it. Welcome to Surviving to Thriving. I'm your host, Laura Giles. In my over 20 years as a trauma therapist, I've come to believe that the path to a meaningful life comes from having great connections. But you can't do that if you're dealing with trauma. Susan Gold is going to help us shine a light on that for us as she talks about where is the trauma in your family heritage. Susan is the author of Toxic Family, Transforming Childhood Trauma into Adult Freedom, which is based on her life experience. Professionally, Susan became known for attaching celebrity talent to projects in New York City, which led her to produce for television and film and on to Los Angeles. Susan is a decorated endurance athlete who has competed in three marathons and dozens of triathlons. Susan now resides in rural Montana, where she enjoys the expansiveness of nature and helping others ferret their way through difficulties with trauma. Welcome, Susan. Thanks for being here. Laura, I'm so happy to be in your presence and thanks for all you're producing. Oh, sure, sure. So um, I think we should start at the beginning, but nobody is their story or where they came from. But what was your childhood like? It was chaotic and it was violent and it's my own experience of it. I have um, three brothers and one sister. We all have a very different take. I have a lot of memory of trauma in my upbringing. And my parents came from very traumatic backgrounds and untreated. My father is a genius astrophysicist, but he also had an issue with alcoholism, sexual addiction, and narcissism. And my mother soothed with food. She was a compulsive overeater. And back then they prescribed diet pills as the answer to that, which was speed. And I also believe she may have had a mental health struggle as well. Mm -hmm. So how did you, I think a lot of people, you know, you grow up with what you grow up with and it just feels normal to you because that's all, you know. So how did you know that that wasn't okay and, and decide to do something different? So I knew it wasn't okay when I was still growing up in my household. And I used to go out in the yard and lie on my back and wish myself up on the clouds and talk to angels. And I always had a focus to leave to get out. And I did the morning after I graduated from high school. But when I really saw the signs manifest in my own life, I was in my early 20s. And I had issues with alcohol, just like my father had, even though I didn't understand it, it had to be pointed out to me. And then later, I would have trouble with clinical depressions. Um, for about 10 years, I struggled off and on. Um, with clinical depression, and then ultimately narcissistic abuse that I didn't even realize until much later. So I think that's a key to, to the healing piece. Um, when you said somebody had to point it out to you, 
how did that happen? So I thought alcohol was my confidant and it soothed me and I thought it made me happy. And I actually was brave enough to visit um, a referred therapist and he was brilliant because after my first sentence, I walked into his office and I said, my life is out of control and completely unmanageable. I was barely 25 years old. And he immediately started talking about alcoholism. Was there alcoholism in my family? And I was stunned. I, I literally said to him, you know what? I've got serious problems. I don't have time to talk about this. And he suggested I not drink while I was in treatment with him and that I go to meetings to check out my father's issue with alcohol. So how did that help you to see inside yourself? So that gave me a clearer um, platform and a, and a more steady um, playing field to, to examine and to take a look back at my trajectory as a child growing up and where I was in the present. I think without that, I don't know that I would have had the stability that I needed okay. to take a look back. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, as I was coming up into uh, in the mental health field, I, that that was really useful to me too, because like I was saying, you know, you just think people are the way they are. I thought it was just kind of random. I didn't know that there was a pattern or that, you know, this is what healthy looks like. This is what not healthy looks like. And I think having that that knowledge about this is the dynamic for alcohol. This is the dynamic for abuse. And, and I think it's all interrelated. I don't think it's, you know, this is just alcohol. This is mental illness. Um, but I think that knowledge really, really helps because if you know that this is, this is what healthy looks like, and this is where I am, it gives you kind of a target. So when did you get clued in on the narcissism piece? So I was invited to LA for what I thought was a genius career move. And it was actually to meet the man that would become one of my greatest teachers. And that was the man that became my ex-husband. And I felt more and more drained as I went on in the marriage and we had a young son. I had bought a home for our family and I was maintaining and repairing and making most of the payments and really dragging most of the load. And I was literally being wrung out, <laughs> dry. And I was trying to um, gain accountability for my husband. And he just wasn't willing to step mm -hmm. up to the plate. And I kept pointing three fingers back at myself rather than point one out at him. And for some reason, I was encouraged to Google the word narcissism. And I, I thought to myself, oh my goodness, this is the relationship that I'm in. And I tried to make them accountable through a postnuptial agreement. We got to the last point and I thought, oh, my marriage is saved. Even though I knew Laura, it was well past the expiration date. Mm -hmm. And he folded his arms and his eyes went in those cold reptilian like slits. And he said, I'm hiring an attorney and I'm filing for divorce. And I heard this voice over my right shoulder. This is the universe doing for you what you cannot do for yourself. And it was a year of excruciating pain, but I was able to address almost everything that did, had never made sense in my life. My friends had always said, you're so strong, you're so capable. And I didn't feel that inside. I was codependent 
since second grade and Billy Fritz, I had to have male attention and it was coming at great cost. So here's the metaphor, Laura, for our relationship. He took up residence in the master bedroom and I, by choice, took a mattress and put it on the floor in a partial conversion in our garage. And I spent one year there and I turned that space into a monastery and I went deep in and I did a lot of somatic work. By that point, I had done enough talk therapy. I had the storyline down and it was actually for me only serving to re-traumatize yes. myself. Yes. And I had to go into my body where I hold the trauma and into the pockets and explore them and shift on a cellular level. And I was a longtime meditator. I'd gone on week-long silent meditation retreats. And I'm glad I did because in that circumstance and when you're divorcing a narcissist or you're involved with a narcissist, for me, the only way free was no contact. Mm -hmm. And I held no contact, no verbal contact, no eye contact for the year that it took for me to come to an agreement with him, write him his six-figure check, and he could go on to his next source of supply. And it was that experience, that perfect storm that brought it all together. I mean, all of that endurance athletics, I turned it into the focus of getting through that circumstance. And that's when I really gained compassion for myself. It was easier for me to be compassionate towards those who were challenging to me or had brought difficulty my way. I appreciated what my ex-husband brought me because it woke me up to my own inner power authentically. And I discovered authentic love within my own heart. And I had never had that until that point. And I walked through that and stood up. I love that you call him um, your greatest teacher, because I don't think that a lot of us think of the people who cause us pain in that way. But it absolutely is if we take ownership of our piece of it and, and look at what life is giving us. And I think that that uh, inner strength, this is my journey, this is this is up to me to do, is so important in, in healing of every aspect of, of our lives. So how did you get to the point where you were able to see him in that way? So it took a lot of work. <laughs> it took a lot of trudge because... In, when you're in that circumstance and it's so graphic, the injustice or the seeming injustice, it takes a lot of work to be willing to lift the boulder up mm -hmm. and see the beauty underneath. But I knew that if I didn't perceive it that way, I would be eating the rat poison and expecting him to fall down. I agree. And that's how I feel about, you know, family members that I had severe difficulties with. I have great love for them now um, and great respect for the walk they helped me move through because I, I feel I came in with a very specific mission, very specific experiences I wanted to move through as a way that I could evolve on a soul level. And I feel that all these gifts that have been 
put in front of me and that I choose to move through with some kind of semblance of love has been pivotal. And I do see it from a much different perspective than maybe most, but I also feel this is my legacy and this is my reason for being here. And that's part of the reason I wrote the book that I did, even though it's quite a taboo topic. And I certainly didn't want to throw my own family under the bus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think it gives life meaning. So whether it's real or not, I so I have the same perspective. It, it definitely makes it easier to handle and to move through and to love your way through in, in my experience. So how does, how does your family dynamic and your DNA, your ancestry tie into all of this? Well, it goes way back. I mean, my parents came from horrendous abuse. Um, my mother was horribly abused as a child and never had a chance to review it. And then it goes back from there. It's, it's tied into the lineage. And I'm just grateful that I could wake up in this life and do what I could to put a pin in the abuse in the, in the family line. So what do you attribute your, I agree with the the, uh, ancestral stuff and it just goes on and on. It gets heavier and heavier. And then someone comes along like you who does something different how are you the one that got out? How, what, what made you, like you said, wake up or what made you special or different? Well, I don't know why, but, <laughs> but I, I will say that I always felt unique and like the outsider in my home. And I've been told I was the one that carried the light that mm-hmm. held the family together. So maybe this was a role that I was to play before I even came in, I, I really feel that that is the truth. And I always had that inner light inside. And I always knew that what I was in the midst of in my family home, up in my upbringing, that I was there to transform and to move through it. I was highly intuitive. I was telepathic. I could read the thoughts of the adults. And that's one of the things that kept me safe, I believe, Mm -hmm. until it was no longer safe for those things to come flying out of my mouth, Mm -hmm. um, as far as the the telepathic thoughts. But, and I was, I'm a super empath, still am, you know, I I can feel the emotions of others. It it totally helped me personally and professionally. Mm -hmm. Okay. Do you do any ancestral uh, healing work in the work that you do with your clients? If it's, if it's called for, yes, it depends on, on the openness, how, how much they're awake and how much they're willing. I'm very careful mm-hmm. about that, but I feel it's been pivotal in my own, um, recovery. And I did use, um, a narcissistic abuse recovery program, that a woman created out of Australia back in 2013. And I swear by that. And it goes way back to, to clearing in ancient times. Cause a lot of the trauma that I found inside my own being was not current mm-hmm. and was not the recent past. It was ancient. How do you keep present day stuff from becoming your son's legacy? So I was very honest with my son, 
I always treated him as not an extension of my own being, but as an individual and one who had his own journey and his own boundaries and his own life choices. And uh, though I didn't give him particulars, I was honest about what I had moved through and what helped me. So early on, he was learning about how to connect with his breath. And he was encouraged. Yeah, he was encouraged to express his emotions and explore them. Yeah, things like that. Okay. So so he is having a different experience than what you had. Oh, I hope so. I think he's had a really, well, as stable a platform as I could absolutely provide. You know, there weren't a lot of surprises around the corner. Things were pretty much on a steady, you could expect this, this, and this. Mm-hmm. Um, and he really appreciated that. He he was one that that really loved having dinner at a specific time or knew what the breakfast was going to be. You know, simple things like that. And the routines were fairly simple and straightforward. Yeah, yeah he thrived on that kind of, yeah. Mm-hmm. So are there um, family members that you don't talk to? No, there's no family member that I don't talk to. Um, But what pains me is that now that this is all out in the open, um, some feel surprised and shocked. I mean, my oldest brother has almost no memory of his childhood. It's almost all amnesia. And the way he remembers is if we all get together and I start to mention a memory and then it might come back and it just it's painful to me to hear that that he doesn't recall because I feel I sense pain and I I don't in any way shift blame or guilt Mm -hmm. for the experiences that we've had between each other but I did feel a need to speak my own truth and to leave this legacy. And I wanted to do it because I thought it may help others that were in a similar circumstance and may not have had the cognizance or the awareness of it. And that's already been proven. People have been changed um, by what I've exposed and the conversation I'm creating. I think it's awesome that you could do all this and still main contact, maintain contact with your family. Cause I think in a lot of cases that that doesn't happen. It, it took a lot of work. There was a three-year period that I didn't communicate with my mother and my communication with my father has been limited mostly because we were on opposite sides of the country, mm-hmm. but I've come full circle and I have great love and wish to support them. What would you say for somebody who is just starting their healing journey? Your healing journey is your own mm. and you have to give it respect and you have to give yourself respect and boundaries are important and you're worthy of boundaries. And this is going to be a process. When you say boundaries, what do you mean? Well, I had to, I was porous. I was a chameleon. I would shift into what I perceived you wanted me to be in order to find safety. 
And I didn't understand that I was entitled to feel my feelings, to express no as a complete sentence. And so I had to go through first understanding and teasing out my own emotions because even by my early 20s, I was completely shut down. I was encased in what felt like concrete. Wow. And um, yeah, I, I I used to be so frustrated with that first therapist who would always <laughs> ask me and relate everything back to feeling and emotion. And I would literally said one early session, could you please just hand me a list? I don't know what you're talking about. It took about six months to really understand happy, mad, sad, and glad. And it took even longer to figure out if I wanted Chinese food or I wanted pasta for dinner. I mean, that's simple. So identifying my needs and emotions first and then being clear about what's okay with me and what's not, maybe not responding immediately, maybe taking a breath and really going in and see what I would like. That's been pivotal. Yeah, I can imagine. You talked about somatic work. What do you mean by that? So I'm not so sure I, anybody knows what that is. Yeah, somatic work for me has been to go into my body and feel the pocket of trauma around my heart, to see what color it, it is, to see the consistency is it light? Is it dark? Is it current? Is it past? Is it ancient? Is it expanding and contracting? Is it porous? Is it thick? And then to really clear it out and replace it. For me, it was with golden or white light mm -hmm. and breathe into that and feel the expansiveness. I used to walk around like in adulthood and feel like I had a layer of saran wrap mm -hmm. around me. People thought I was their best friend and I didn't really connect on that level. I couldn't really feel that. And now I can, even with you, Lara, who we were virtually strangers before 20 minutes ago, but I can feel an authentic connection with you. And I'm not held back in that layer of plasticity. Anymore. What's it like to go from encased in plastic to having your feet in concrete. And I love those, um, uh, the, the way that you vocalize that to just being free. Well, that is complete freedom. It's like living in a new zip code. It's almost like having the sensation of heaven on earth after being locked in with the barbed wire facing inward for so long to really release that and come out. And I have less fear mm -hmm. as I move through life authentically. I imagine though, it must've been terrifying though at one point, because I think it would entail leaving everything that you knew behind. It came in layers. Okay. It, it was almost like the theme was decades long. You know, it would be a specific decade for a different theme. Like in my twenties, it was, alcoholism and addiction in my 30s it was clinical depression and then it was narcissistic abuse it's it's come in clumps and I've moved through those clumps 
And it really wasn't until well after I left my marriage and really started to authentically feel even more and more freedom, mm-hmm. having walked out of that construct or patriarchal matrix that wasn't a fit any longer. Mm-hmm. Now, um, you are an endurance athlete and your career has been unique, I would say, uh, high, high profile. So it seems like you have a lot of um, confidence, maybe, um, ability to see things through, that kind of stuff, which I'm sure helped you along the way. What would you say to somebody who doesn't have that? Like, you know, it's a struggle to get off the couch. For me, just becoming aware of my breath was really important to feel like I had a being on that couch and that being was worthy of stepping up and into the day, even when I had fear. And the other thing that's really helped me is to understand I have a team. I have a team like walking this walk with me and I can feel that comfort, just like I heard that whisper as I my marriage was coming to an end and I heard that whisper of this is the universe doing for you what you cannot do for yourself. I've had those whispers and I've had physical sensation along the way that's really helped me to step up and to face my life just in the day. And sometimes I've had to chunk it down to the hour or even to the moment. And that's what I share with people really struggling. Mm -hmm. And who's your ideal client? (laughs) Someone who's, who's got humility, Mm -hmm. who has integrity, who is brave and who is strong and who is open and willing. (laughs) And can you tell us um, where to find the book? Sure. Just everything is at susangold.us. The book's at Amazon and all the regular places, but everything's at susangold.us if you feel drawn. Awesome. Okay. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story. And it was lovely meeting you. And thanks everybody for tuning in this week. I hope that if it's a good fit for you, that you will check that out and share it with somebody who needs to hear it. I know as you're talking, I'm thinking, okay, I know who I'm going to send this to. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Laura, and thanks for all that you're doing for your community. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help the podcast thrive, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest from Laura Giles, you can follow her on all her socials at Laura Giles 804. See you next time.